Yeah, for those who don't know me, uh, yeah, my name's Ravian. You can call me Ravi. I grew up in Lena. Uh, I played football there and then got recruited to go play football up at NIU. And uh, I stopped playing my sophomore year um, because I had to medically retire because of a concussion. Well, several concussions, you know. I had several concussions in wrestling, and then I had several concussions with football, and I tried to get by, and that didn't really work, so I had to stop. But honestly, I, I, it was like the biggest blessing for me, honestly. It's when uh, I came to know Jesus through it. I was crushed. You know, I'm thinking I'm going to go to NFL, you know, I'm about to start, and everything kind of gets washed out. But it was there where um, I, you know, Jesus saved me. Um, I was a rebel in college, definitely, and uh, I came to know Jesus Christ. He uh, um, brought me out, and I began listening to this guy named Ray Comfort. I'm sure people know who Ray Comfort is. Yeah, so he preached the gospel super clearly. He's this YouTube evangelist, and I came to believe through that. But during that season of time, it was COVID, so like there was no churches to go to. So I was on YouTube, and uh, well, before this, obviously, I met Brooke and everything, and you know, we got married, but after all this, but anyways, yeah, so I, I was on YouTube trying to find someone to listen to because there's no churches to go to. Churches are closed down. I mean, I'm a young Christian, you know, zealous, you know, on fire, and I end up running into this group called Hebrew Israelites, and so Hebrew Israelites are this group that pretty much, uh, they bring everything out of Deuteronomy 28, um, and through Deuteronomy 28, they make this this case that Every black person in the United States is from the tribe of Judah. Every white person is an Edomite. And that means every Edomite, when they get to the kingdom of God, would serve every black person in the kingdom of God. They can be saved, but they'd just be slaves to the black people in the kingdom of God. Now, there's several different sects of Hebrew Israelites. There's, like, sects that believe that all white people go to hell. There's sects that believe that um, they're, they're apostles, they're reincarnations of Paul. I was at GOCC that didn't believe that far, but it was, it was heretical. But that's where I came to believe through YouTube. Um, a few things that I actually came to believe, I just want to say, is I no longer believed in the virgin birth of Jesus. I uh, didn't believe Jesus was God anymore. And this is the time of the teaching they were teaching. I believed that righteousness now came to the law, so I began to try to keep the Sabbath to the T. I would try to keep all the feast laws. I, you know, tried my hardest to do it. Um, the way the food I eat, I would try not to eat any unclean foods. Um, and then after that, there, I mean, it was crushing because the law, that's what the law crushes. And so I had this belief while I was going through it that if I didn't get over specific sins, that I would go to hell. That if I didn't get over this sin, it was like up and down every single day. Um, but fast forward several months, one of my friends who went to church out, uh, in Lena, he kept telling me and my friends, like, you should read Galatians. And we're like, no, like, we kept kind of shoving him to the side. Like, I'm not going to read Galatians. We know what Galatians means. But for some reason, the, the elders that we were under never talked about Galatians. I wonder why. But, uh, but finally, after several months, I, I came to read Galatians, and it was this book. That's why I picked this passage. It was this book that literally changed my whole life. It was this very book that showed me that righteousness comes not from the law, but by faith in Christ alone. And it the weight that got lifted off my shoulders when I read that was absolutely amazing. And it was like a, a feeling of just like a fresh breath of air. And so I just want to read like a quote from this elder that I listened to um, that after knowing all this, I came to believe like he was definitely a false teacher. Um, so he was explaining Ezekiel 20 and he said, under the rod, that means you're back under the law. 
there is no grace in sin and every sin you do now against the law that's right punishable by death Christ is no more the sacrifice he did everything he was supposed to do even to the point of delivering you to the holy place every sin you now commit against the law guess what you are accountable for that sin not Christ he has done his purpose you are back under the law again and so when I heard that after, you know, coming out of it, I was like, oh my goodness, how did I, how was I under this for so long? And so, yes, you may be wondering why such a heavy passage. This is the first passage I've ever preached, I ever preached. But I really believe that it's this text that is central to Christianity. I believe it, it changed my life. It is essential that you guys today know this saving truth. It's crucial to understand this important doctrine. And to go a step further, I would say the, the significance to grasp this doctrine, if you don't accept it, I would say you're not even truly a Christian at all. That's how important this doctrine is. This is the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so church, if you would know anything today, it is that you will never be righteous before a holy and righteous God by what you do. It is by faith alone in Christ alone that you will ever be righteous before God. And so if you will, turn with me to Galatians chapter—we'll uh, start out in chapter 1. And this is just a timeless letter written by Paul to the Galatians. So Paul wrote several letters to different churches, and so Galatians is just that. It's a letter written from Paul, who is an apostle of Jesus Christ. It is Paul who God entrusted the gospel to, for him to defend the gospel and preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to many and so, in summary, Galatians is, number one, he, he's defending justification by faith. Number two, he's warning of the dreadful consequences of deserting this essential doctrine. And so, doing just a quick flyover of these first couple chapters, you'll see Paul begins by confronting accusations about him. And number two, soon after the Galatians received the gospel, which he preached to them, Paul explains that some people— secretly came into the church and were spreading rumors about Paul, but about Paul, and then preaching a false, twisted gospel, which he never preached, telling the uncircumcised Galatians that you need to believe in Jesus and be circumcised. And that's all it took. You could only imagine, but this angered Paul. Every other letter Paul wrote to the churches it contains some type of commendation, but this is the only exception. Look at chapter 1, verse 6, when Paul speaks to the Galatians. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This is not a praise. I mean, rightfully so, the Galatians were, were actually falling for this twisted gospel and thus deserting Christ. And that's what happens. You don't just go to a different gospel. When you leave the gospel, you are leaving Jesus. So then throughout the, tech, the next couple of chapters, Paul defends his credibility against these rumors coming against him who were implying that he somehow changed his message to better fit the Gentile Christians. He goes on and explains how he didn't receive this gospel from merely men. He received it from revelation through Christ. And he never changed his message at all to fit 
any Gentile Christian. And so now, flipping to chapter 3, verse 1, Paul gets to his main point, confronting the Galatians specifically on falling for this twisted new version of the gospel. He says this in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The Galatians who believed they were justified by faith in Christ are now looking for righteousness through the law. Can you see the reason why this angered Paul? I mean, he came and he preached the gospel to them. They clearly received it and understood it and clearly heard And now they're falling to a different gospel, which is really not a gospel at all. And so I say, I repeat, hear me when I say this. This is so vital to Christianity. And to be on the other side of this is awfully dangerous. I mean, I started believing that there was no virgin birth anymore from simply clinging on to a different gospel. You will never be righteous before a holy God by what you do. Again, it's by faith alone. And so I have five simple points today. And in, these, in four of these points, Paul makes four assertions. And he proves each one using the Old Testament. So the first one is, to be under the law is to be under the curse, which is verse 10. Number two, justification has always been by faith. You'll see that in verse 11. The law is not of faith. You'll see that in verse 12. Number four, Christ redeems us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. You'll see that in verse 13. And before anybody asks, why would he do such a thing? Paul answers that too, which is my fifth and final point, so that we are blessed like Abraham. So if you would walk with me through these next two verses, verses 10 through 14, starting at verse 10, Paul's first assertion and my first point To be under the law is to be under the curse. Our text today says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. First, I want you to notice the word all. No one is getting away with this. Not me, not you, not Paul, not Peter, not any sincerely religious person. No one is getting away with this. No one. But what does Paul mean when he speaks of the works of the law? Well, if we look, the verse he's actually quoting is from Deuteronomy 27. And these were the laws of Moses. And the children of Israel were just reviewing it at this time. And this would be the Ten Commandments. This would include the food laws, the Passover, different things like that. And so they were going over. This would include circumcision. And so in the Hebrew Israelite doctrine, I did my best to keep from eating pork, uh, not working on Saturdays because that's the Sabbath, not celebrating some holidays. I think there's a time, Ian Brooke, we waited till after my parents ate the meal on Thanksgiving and then came after just to say we didn't celebrate Thanksgiving. So just to feel more righteous. But that, that was the drive. And so I want you to see, these are the works of the law. This would be of the works of the law, but when you look at the word, I want you to see the word rely. This is literally, it means to be of, to embody, to identify with. 
your works, your deeds, your labor, your good doings, all as a means to earn or gain favor with God. This would be literally who you are. And it is here where we find the problem. It is trusting in these things to actually attain righteousness, which is crazy. Ray Comfort says it's like jumping out of an airplane and flapping your arms super hard to try to save yourself. It's like running outside. If I just run outside fast enough while it's pouring rain, I won't get wet. I mean, it makes, it makes zero sense, but, but that's what it looks like. That's the, that's the funny thing about it, and that was me. And it very well could be some of you. Is this not what the Galatians were doing? Why else would Paul be saying this? If we just get circumcised, then we will be perfect, and then we'll be good enough to get to heaven. Look at me with uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Silly Galatians, right? Relying on something else but Christ to be perfected. But it's this very thought part pattern that sneaks its way into the church for centuries. It sounds like this, though. It just sounds a little bit different. I have to read my Bible every day, and that assures that I'm righteous. I have to pray each morning, and then it'll confirm that I'm a Christian. I have to go to church every week, and then I will know I am right before God if I just go. I have to give more, like I'm supposed to do. Then I'll be a good, then I'll, then I'll be a good person. This is the literally be of the works of the law. This is to be relying on your works. So think about that. Does this define your Christianity? And this is what some of the Galatians were doing. They were believing in Jesus and that they must be circumcised to be right before God. So they subjected themselves to having to keep the whole law. So when you do this, Paul says, or if you attach one thing to this doctrine of justification by faith alone and trust in anything but Christ for righteousness to get into heaven, you are putting yourself willingly under the law. And then what you must do is keep all of the law perfectly and obey all of it or there's a problem. There's a holy God. It must be perfect, perpetual obedience. So Paul concludes and proves you're under the curse as well. It's a two-for-one deal. Look, for, look at this verse. It says, For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Did you see that? It says, You must abide by all things and you must perfectly obey all the time, every action, every word, every deed, every thought, every breath you breathe until you die. There are no second chances. The law offers no grace. You must be perfectly obedient always. And Paul says, it is written. I mean, it's one thing to say something. Someone can say, well, I misheard you. But this is clear. It is written. It is final. God has literally spoken. So who wants to sign up for that? The Galatians did. I did. And Paul started off this whole chapter saying, who has bewitched you? 
Who has maligned you? Who has fascinated you with this? This was me. I heard and received the gospel and then began falling for this distortion and this works-based gospel. I was literally bewitched, crumbling under the weight of the law and yet still striving. So could it be that there are some here today that are bewitched as well? And if this is you, Paul says, you are under the curse. I'm not sure if you noticed. Look at verse 10 again. It says, are under. Not will be under, not might be under, not could be under, but are under a curse. That's now. That's current. Why? Because you haven't perfectly obeyed all of the law. So then you are subjecting yourself willingly to keep all of the law, and thus the curse of the law, which is no other curse than a curse from the Almighty God. And Paul proves this point using Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. It's here where the law is being reaffirmed by the children of Israel. Moses is commanded to put half the tribes of Israel on Mount Ebal to pronounce all the curses on those who do not perfectly obey all of the law. And then the other half he, he puts on Mount Gerizim to pronounce all the blessings on those who perfectly obey all of the law. And all the people at the end say, Amen. What's a curse? Or what does it mean to be cursed? It's simply the opposite of a blessing. In other words, to be blessed by God is for God to be for you in every way. But to be cursed by God is be God to be against you in every way. Deuteronomy 28, verse 20, speaks of these curses to all those who have sinned against, against God. It says, the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, will not be for you, but utterly and completely against you. For this is God's righteous and perfect justice. Man has sinned, so man must be cursed and die. Charles Spurgeon said this, we wink at sin. Yes, and even harden our hearts till we laugh at it and take pleasure in it. But let us not think that God is as we are. Let us not suppose that sin can be beheld by him and yet no indignation be felt. This is right of God. You and I are sinners. This is not a game. Sin is serious. It is rebellion. It is hostility against a holy and righteous God. It is evil. And for God to be just, he must judge sin and the sinner. Anyone on earth, if, they, if, if something's done terribly wrong to them, they, they, you want justice. There was a guy I ran into in college, and I mean, I th this is an unri unrighteous man, but he said if someone disrespected me in the street, I'd want to kill him. 
And this is an unrighteous man, but how much more a holy and righteous God when we have rebelled against him, when we have cursed him, when we have broken every one of his laws, when we have blasphemed him. Like he said in Deuteronomy 28, punishment and destruction until you are in hell, and then there he will unleash the rest of his holy, burning, righteous wrath against a sinner for eternity. So you who desire to be under the law, you who trust in your doings, to the church member and the one who does not believe at all, the law speaks to you in this way. Blessed are you if you perfectly obey, but cursed are you if you stumble in one point. Turn. Turn from trusting in anything but Christ alone. Paul said, Oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, church of God. Oh, bride of Christ. Turn. Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish when God literally made a way. We have all sinned. We all need Christ. Sinners are not just the serial killers. They're not just the mass murderers. They're not just the thieves and the bank robbers. But good Grandma Sally down the street, she feeds the whole neighborhood. She gives brownies to everyone. She sinned as well. Think about this. Have you ever lied? Have you ever broken a promise? Have you ever hated someone in your heart? Have you ever looked on another woman with lust? Have you ever stolen? Or have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? And if you haven't, you have sinned. And if you have sinned, then you are under the curse of Almighty God. Do you see why we need Jesus? You will never be righteous in and of yourself, nor by what you do, but it is by Christ and by faith alone. To trust in anything else other than Christ for your salvation disqualifies you as even being a Christian at all. The one who trusts in their works are really no more than a religious person who doesn't know God. Lay down your trust in your good deeds, your church attendance, your Bible readings, your moralisms, anything that makes you believe, if I do that, then I'll be righteous. These things are good. Bible reading is good. All these things are good. But it's not where you find, that's, it's not where you find your true peace and your true joy and true salvation. It's always found and rooted in Christ. Christ alone is our righteousness. He alone is our peace and our joy. He alone is our strength. Put your faith in Christ, and this is the only way, and it has always been this way, which is Paul's second assertion and my second point. Number two, justification has always been by faith. Look at verse 11 with me. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Let me repeat that one more time. For the righteous shall live by faith. 
This is the core doctrine of Christianity. This is the heartbeat of our faith. This is the solid ground on which we stand. Justification by faith alone. Martin Luther says, if this article of justification stands, the church stands. But if this article collapses, the church collapses. It is this doctrine which separates Christianity from every other religion. What is justification? Justification is a legal term. It's when God legally declares you right before him. God, when you put your faith in him, then sees you as just and sees you just as though you have never sinned before in your life. This doesn't mean that in and of yourself you somehow become perfectly good and you'll never sin again. That's not what it means. But instead, though you are guilty, God declares you right before him because Jesus took your place. What is faith? It's faith just knowing your Bible and facts about God. The Reformers did well in defining this. It is knowledge of the mind. It's assent it's, or agreement. It's trust. Fiducia, it's an act of the will. Acting on what I know and believe to be true. Fully trusting in Jesus. It's like jumping out of an airplane. I got this one for Rick Comfort too. And activating the, the parachute. To, and, and trusting that it's going to keep you from falling. Faith is to be fully persuaded in your heart and recognizing it is true that I am a sinner and by my works of the law, I'm condemned. Being convicted of my sin, but believing and trusting in the only sin bearer, which is Christ, and thus committing my life to all that he is. Justification by faith alone. And Paul says, this is evident. It's obvious, it's clear, it's as clear as, well, the sun's not in the sky today, but it's as clear as me being a dark-skinned man before you. It's as clear as your hand being on your wrist. It says, this is this evident. And you would have thought it would have been this way to the Galatians. Look at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1 again. Paul said, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was privately, publicly portrayed as crucified. Some versions say clearly portrayed. It was clear. And and this is what many people in the church today get confused. They think that in the Old Testament that they were justified by the law, and now in the New Testament were justified by faith. Or in fact, some, because of their belief, and this was the Hebrew Israelites' problem, because of their belief that the Old Testament they were justified by the law, they think that in the New Testament were justified by the law too. But that is so far from the truth. Israel was not justified by the law. It was not by the law to the Galatians. And it is not by the law to us today. It is actually astounding at the number of people who will hear Christ preached every Sunday yet still trust in their own good works. Look at me with me in chapter 2, verse 15. When Paul confronted Peter concerning this doctrine of justification by faith alone. You know when you have to tell someone like something several times to get, get their, your point through so you like repeat it in different ways? It's literally what Paul does here. Three times in three different ways, he defends justification by faith. Listen, chapter 2, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person 
is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Three different ways saying the same thing in one verse. And guess what? He's not done yet. In verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, Christ died for no purpose. So this is not new. Nothing has changed. To trust in your works is to say Christ died for no reason. Or is to say, I, I don't need him. I got this by myself. Or he's got most of it, but I'll get the rest of it. Thank you, Jesus. It's, it's not that way. And to further prove this, then he, proved, he points to another Old Testament scripture. It's Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. He says, the righteous shall live by faith. This is where the prophet, in the midst of crumbling Babylon, simply puts his trust and relies on God throughout all of it. He has this testimony at the end. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation faith alone. It has always been by faith the person is justified before God. You who believe are literally declared righteous before a holy God. Look at verse 6 of this chapter. Speaking of Abraham, the, old, the great Old Testament saint, it says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Literally put in his account. It is by faith alone one's sins is forgiven. And then he receives Jesus' perfect righteousness. It has always been by faith. Yes, justified by faith alone. In Hebrew 11, it continues to speak of faith. You don't have to flip there if you don't want, but by faith, Abel was righteous. By faith, Noah became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. The whole chapters of Hebrews 11 speaks of all the Old Testament saints being justified by faith. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Moses. By faith, the harlot Rahab. Do you guys see a pattern yet? It's faith. Not by their works. Not by me not going to Thanksgiving. Not by the Galatians getting circumcised. And not by your works. Not by your penance not by your sacraments, not by your baptism, not by your confirmation, not by your communion, not by your denomination, not by your church attendance, not by doing a kind deed for someone, not by doing better next time. None of that is what gets you saved or makes you justified. Not by growing up in a Christian home. It is literally by faith alone in Christ. It's believing in the person and the perfect work of Jesus Christ that you will ever be right and justified before God. It says so simply here in verse 11, no one is justified before God by the law. You may seem righteous before other people. You may seem moral before them. You may even 
fit in and look like a Christian. Yet unless you have faith in Jesus alone, you are still in your sins. You are under the curse of God and not yet justified. Not in God's sight. So let go of all of the, your filthy rags of righteousness and cling on to the cross of Christ. I remember feeling condemned. Seeking righteousness yet not finding it. Because I, was seeking, I wasn't seeking it by faith. It was a roller coaster. It would be if I was good this day and not good this day. It was so shaky. And I felt if I wasn't good enough. But guess what? We will never be good enough. There was only one who was ever good enough. But maybe you're still thinking, but I still do good things though. Your good is not good enough. The law demands not good, it demands perfection. The law and faith are contrary to each other in the matter of justification. So to those who can't let go of trusting in their own works, Paul's third assertion, my third point, the law is not of faith. Look at verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Question. Did you know there was a poll that went out to the Catholics and Protestants? The question was this. Are you saved by faith plus works? In the Catholic Church, 86% of the people said yes. Makes sense. That's what Catholics typically preach and teach. But listen to this. When they asked the same question in the Protestant Church... 52% of the people said, yes, you are saved by faith plus works. It's crazy. And it's sad. We We may even have some Galatians in the church today. It's sad and yet terrifying that many will literally comfortably walk into hell thinking they're actually going to heaven but they're trusting in themselves. His is you. Are you still on the other side of eternity? What is it that brings you peace? Is it your day-to-day performance? The law is not of faith. Simply put, the law says do. Faith says believe. We have not done, so we believe in our Savior and is accounted to us as righteousness. So on the basis of justification, the law is not of faith. They contradict each other. And Paul, once a Pharisee, an Old Testament scholar, pulls from the Old Testament again, pulling from Leviticus, saying, the one who does them shall live by them. Which basically means you must perfectly obey all the law all the time, And it's all or nothing. Listen, the law is good. It is meant to show us our sin and point us to Christ. It gives us a a guide morally in our Christian walk. It restrains evil in this society. But it was never meant to save. It was never meant to give us righteousness. It was never meant to give us life. Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 3 verse 21, For if a law had been given that could have given life, then 
Righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So that the promise by faith, there's that word again, we can't run away from it. That it was that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ would be given to those who what? Believe. True righteousness comes only in believing in Christ alone. Not by the law, for the law is not of faith. For you will never be righteous before God by what you do. Oh, but you may say, I don't, I don't try to keep the law. Oh no, sounds like me. I don't try to keep the law, I just choose which ones I want to try to keep, and, and I didn't even do that. We don't even keep our own rules, let alone God's holy, righteous law. This is not believing, it's doing. If you break one law, you have broken it all. The law is not a faith. It demands a perfect doing of all that is revealed in the Holy Word of God. Just believe in Jesus. God has made it so simple that a child could do it. I remember literally seeking righteousness by the law because I wanted peace. That's true. I wanted comfort. I wanted to know that I would make it to heaven, so I put on my pads and put on my helmet and strove after it and tried my best, but instead it gave me the complete opposite. It was like drowning. Another wave would come, and I'd get a little bit of air, and another wave would come. It was a lie. By the devil himself, I was bewitched, and I fell for it. Ask yourself, what makes me a Christian? If you're seeking righteousness any other way by Jesus, than Jesus, repent from your vain labor and believe and rest in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Remember what he said? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And, O oh church, be reminded of who's writing this letter. It's Paul. Yes, I would ask myself, how does such a hard-hearted man come to preach about so much grace and freedom and life? How does a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a man with so much zeal that he persecuted the church of God, a man so self-righteous that he could say, according to the law, blameless, what changed Paul? That he would come to boast alone in the cross of Christ. It's his fourth assertion and my fourth point. Christ redeems us from the curse by becoming a curse. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Oh, Christ, redeemed from the curse of the law. What does it mean to be redeemed? In the Greek, it's met many times to refer to buying a slave or someone who's owed much money and buying that person's freedom, paying for it all. 
Maybe you guys have watched a, a crime show where a person is kidnapped and, <clears throat> and the criminal says, Yo, I'll give you your kid back if you pay a million dollars. And so what you do, you, give them, you pay the ransom, you get your kid back, the kid's back in yours. That's kind of like a little illustration of, of, of redemption. Christ paid something in full. So before coming to Christ, we were slaves to sin and enemies of God. Deceived, blind, and under the curse of God, all of us. We owed a great debt. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. And there was only one solution. Only one. You ever ask the question, why did Christ, this anointed king, have to die? Yes, to save sinners, but death? And the death of a cross? Why did your Lord have to die upon the tree? He died to redeem us from the curse of the law. To deliver us and save us from the wrath of God. If there could have been any other way, trust me, it would have been done. The whole Bible, every story, all of it points to this moment here on the cross. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Every person dies because we've all sinned. So a man, a man Christ Jesus was sent to represent sinful man and die in our place. But here we have what theologians call a great dilemma. In Proverbs 17 and 5 it says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just Both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. But then it says in Romans 4, But to him who does not work but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. How can God be just and yet justify the ungodly? Again, in Numbers it says, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy. Forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. God will forgive sin, but also said he won't leave the guilty unpunished. That makes no sense. Today we've literally been talking about how God has justified us, that we are the wicked ones and he's justified us. Literally, we have been justified, declared innocent. How would it be if someone came and murdered your whole family, sits before a judge and says, I'm sorry, and he says, yeah, you can go free. We'd be angry. But God is not like that. God remains just and yet also forgives and clears the guilty of their sin. How? Because God did not just let the sinner go. He did not just sweep your sin under the rug. But he took our sin, and he took our guilt, and he laid it on Christ. Christ took our place and bore our judgment. Our sin was imputed to Christ, and his righteousness imputed to us. And Jesus, the righteous one, died on behalf of the sinner. Look at this verse again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. This is how your Lord redeems you from the curse of the law. Christ, our Lord, became a curse.
for us. He was cursed in our place. He bore our sin, guilt, and shame. And he was struck by Almighty God. Jesus, who was truly God and truly man, came down to represent sinful man, walked this earth, and bore our judgment and our sin and our curse, and he bore it all. Know this, that God is not obligated to do anything. He does only what he pleases, only what is his will. And in Isaiah 53, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Some versions say it pleased the Father to bruise him. And he was nailed to a tree. And so was your sin. God's righteous anger, which was pointed at us, was taken by him. Remember, in justification, God declares you righteous before him. And listen, I like how Paul Washer goes further. He not only declares you right before him, but he treats you that way. On that cross, the Father looked upon the Son, declared him guilty, and treated him that way. Cursed. Treated as though he was the worst, most vile sinner. To walk the earth. Cursed as though he was the one who dishonored his parents. As though he was the one who committed adultery. As though he was the one who lied and stole and broke every one of God's commands. And he bore his cross. And he bore your burden. And he shed his blood for you and for me. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned Everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Every sin you and I committed, he took on that day. And on that cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The curse that should have been for us Christ took, and he did because he loves you. For he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I mean, you hear it said, I love you so much, I will die for you. Yet this is not some cliche to Christ. He loved us so much that he bore our sin and the just, holy wrath of God. So this, this is how God can be just and the justifier of him who believes in Christ. This is how we were redeemed from the curse of the law and now sons and daughters of Christ, of God. We should have been punished by God for eternity. Yet it was Christ who was punished for us. We should have been singled out. Yet it was Christ who was singled out, stripped naked and put up on the cross. This is not some stepping stone in the Christian walk where you step and you start with the gospel and move on to something else. This moment changed eternity. This is what drives someone to live a holy life. This is what humbles a man to love his wife. This is what humbles a man to love his neighbor like himself. This is where our sacrifice for others comes from. This is what kills all boasting. For we were dead under the curse of God and here 
Here is the one who became a curse for you. This is how you were redeemed. This is the center and the heart of the gospel. Paul says, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Coming straight from Deuteronomy 21. Those who committed sin deserving death were typically stoned. And when they were dead, they would put this man upon a tree to be a sign of the one who was cursed and utterly rejected by God. But they were commanded to take the cursed person down before morning so that he would not defile the land. Yes, the only one who was clean to walk the earth was deemed as unclean. And he was nailed to a tree. Some think because he was God, it somehow lessened the pain. No, but because he was God, this kept him alive so that he would endure every last drop. He did this willingly. It was his desire to be our representative. Voluntarily did he step forward in John and say, If you seek me, let these go their way. The only begotten of the Father, the one in whom he was well pleased, lifted upon the cross, becoming a curse for us, pleading for you to turn and look and be healed, crushed under the weight of God's wrath. How would you believe and be forgiven? For Christ pled to the Father, crying out, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And he died, and he was buried, and he rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul Washer said this, and I stand with him. We don't need much. We just need a higher, a more exalted, a deeper knowledge of Christ. Not your works, not your systems, not your penance, not nothing, just Christ. Listen to me, bride of Christ, God loves you. And he did not withhold his son, his only son, but delivered him up for you and for me. Rest in that. Rejoice in that. Glory in him. I can only imagine the weight lifted off Paul's shoulders. Church, hear the words of Christ. He says, it is finished. For Christ paid the price in full. Christ has redeemed you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is not a payment left to pay. Nothing to be condemned for. Christ took the condemnation in your place. Free from the curse of the law. And now a child of God. This is the gospel we preach. This is the gospel we believe. The best news ever. Believe and you are justified in his sight. There's no need to try to do these things to be righteous. Christ perfectly fulfilled it all. Alistair Begg, a pastor I love to listen to, he said, You tonight, or for us this morning, are as acceptable before God as was Jesus Christ. Because it was his righteousness in which you are clothed. He bore your sin. Think about that. But for what? What what was the purpose? 
What's the why? My final point, that we will be blessed like Abraham. And Paul gives us the reason and purpose of what Christ did. We see the Gentiles are now blessed in Jesus. And we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. Look at this last verse with me. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What is the blessing of Abraham? The first time we even see it mentioned was all the way back in Genesis 12, where God began to make a people for himself, the chosen people of Israel. And for the next 10 chapters, God explains these blessings, how he will be fruitful, how he will bless them and multiply his descendants, how he will give them land to inherit. He'll make him a great name and a great nation. He said to him, don't be afraid, for I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Don't forget that. God was for him. Righteousness is then given to him by faith and ultimately salvation. And God says that through Abraham, many kings and people will come and he will be their God. Remember that. Abraham and all his descendants after were blessed. Oh, and the Gentiles, the pagans, the nations worshiping the false gods, they too will be blessed. But how? They could not worship with Israel, not in the pure holy temple. That was only for the Jews. There was another place for them, though. These self-righteous, caring, loving, endearing Jews made a place for these Gentiles called the court of the Gentiles. They actually ended up building a wall to separate the Jews from the Gentiles. And they told the Gentiles they got to be way, 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 way far back to worship. I could only imagine like a bunch of you know, the cool kids watching a movie and then, you know, the unpopular kid comes back and you can watch with us. You just got to be out of the room. I mean, this is what the Jews did to the Gentiles. So there was a separation of Jews and Gentiles. But something happened, of course, changing everything. Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 3 and 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Those blessings of Abraham can now come upon the Gentiles by faith. The God of Israel will now be their God and bless them, those who were way, way, way far back who are not part of the covenant blood of Israel, but blessed now through Abraham by faith. Because of Christ's death, the middle wall has been broken down. By faith, they are now blessed with Abraham. And you today who believe, yes, blessed by being justified, blessed by receiving the gift of righteousness, blessed by being clothed in Christ, blessed by being seen as pure and holy before a righteous, holy God, Blessed by now being descendants of this of Abraham and a child of God. Blessed with God's favor forever. No longer is there Jew or Gentile. But all who believe are sons of God. And I emphasize all. Yes, all who believe are blessed with Abraham and righteous before God. To those who believe you are sons and daughters. Paul says in the last section that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. 
The Holy Spirit was not given to Abraham and every Jew alike, but we now know by faith the great promise of the Spirit was given, for the promised Spirit is given to you. And it can't be earned, so he says, through faith. And by receiving the Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ himself, the Spirit then produces love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And God then works in you and everyone individually to conform him into the perfect image of his son. So blessed are you, church of the living God. Blessed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. Every blessing in this book is for you. You may not see it in full right now. But oh, what God has in store for those who love him. This is what he promised. For the Father gave us Jesus Christ, our exceedingly great reward, our mighty shield, and the Lord of our salvation. The God of the universe, creator of heaven and earth, is for you. Think about that. You are precious in his sight. I love this verse in Isaiah chapter 9. He says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor the flames scorch you. For I am your, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He is no longer your judge, but your Father smiling down on you. He will guide you. Always give you what you need, not always what you want, but what you need. So he will be so gracious to you. We don't deserve a thing, but the Father in heaven delights in you. You have nothing to fear, for if God is for you, who can be against you? Turn. He will be compassionate to you. You who may be hurting, cry out to him, for he will comfort your tears. Maybe you're stressed about the future. Turn to him. He will direct your steps. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Blessed are you who trust not in your righteousness but in the Lord. The devil can no longer accuse you. His lame words have no weight. And he's always got something to say. Say, for Christ took my place and my debt has been paid. Oh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This we know can be because Christ, Christ was given the opposite upon that tree. Oh, hear him. Hear him plead for thee. A rock our Redeemer, dressed in the sins of you and me. Now behold him, seated at the right hand of God, the Lamb in purity. This is your God. This is your Savior. And so cease from trusting in anything but Christ alone for your justification. Know that wide is the gate And broad is the road that leads to destruction. But small is the gate 
and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few will find it. So church, go. Starting with your close friends and family and tell them about the good news of Christ. Examine yourselves this day as to whether you are in the faith. And for some of you here today, I fear greatly. Oh, that there is some here today that may not actually ever enter into the kingdom of God. There are some here today that could very well still be under the curse of God and may abide there forever. My heart truly weeps for you. But here is the invitation. Today is the day of salvation. If you are sitting here today and have not yet accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, I call you today to repent and believe in this Savior. I plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled unto God. You don't need to come perfect. Don't let your conscience tell you you have sinned too much for the Savior. The Lord is compassionate to those who turn to him. Even to the most vile sinner can come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christ is pleading with an outstretched arm. Be reconciled unto God through faith alone. Let's pray. Father, we are delighted and we rejoice in the gift of righteousness in which we have received and that Christ bore our punishment and took on our sin and that you see us as being whole and that you see us as being justified and see us as being righteous before you that it is not our deeds. God, I pray that we would so cling on to you that you would cling on to us. Guide our steps, encourage us, and help us to rest in the perfect work of your son Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.